I've got coffee as well. Mine's instant. It tastes bad. Yeah, me, me too. Yeah, like I, I've got good coffee. Like I've got beans that I can grind and drink delicious coffee. Okay. But I just keep getting the instant anyway because I'm incredibly <laughs> well, easier, lazy. Right? <laughs> yeah. Although my boss is, has fully given up caffeine. Just like which all at once? Oh, did it, well, yeah, just cold turkey. Because uh, and apparently, and I believe fully, this is a they're, placebo they're effect. Be, they're going to be jittering. My my days. Yeah, placebo effect. Though I believe more than anything it says, oh, yep, sleeping better, feeling better, all the things. Well, I could believe. And I thought, oh, no, right, okay. I could believe sleeping better if they had like a a bad caffeine habit because obviously, sure, it keeps you awake. It's got a certain half life. If you drink it too late in the day, it interrupts your sleep later at night. So, do you think me drinking coffee right now at four o'clock in the afternoon is a bad idea? Depends when you're wanting to sleep. <laughs> How much coffee you're having and how much it usually affects you. Because different people are affected to different degrees. I think if I chug the entire mug, yes, I'll have a problem. But I'll do what I usually do, which is I half drink it. Yeah. I'll have like, like a, a decent a decent half, maybe a two thirds and I leave the rest. And then it gets, yeah, it gets room temp and you, and you, and you stop. Correct. Anyway, what are you chugging? I get away with it though because I, I sleep, well, just regular regular actually i i drink a, i drink a specific brand of coffee called bird and wild oh right now what's that it's like it's like a uk-based coffee company and they have ties to uh, rspb or something like that i'm okay. not sure i can't quite remember because it and it's just it's just decent coffee but like some of it is charity oriented hey. and stuff like that so i do recommend they do they do the instance and they do Mine's the, a they do the you, oh you're one of them Nescafe scammers. I I, I am. I, I get the, like the powdery coffee stuff. This is Nescafe though, or why I know. Have you seen this thing going around? Um where there's a new like fair trade type accreditation for businesses no. where it's like a B label company. I have not. You've not seen like a B on all these all these boxes of different products, oh, like a B actually. and a square. Now you, now you talk about it, yeah. Yeah, B is supposed to mean like this company is ethical, right? It's, an, it's just another form of like clean washing uh, sure. corporations. And and I thought, hey, maybe they're doing okay. Maybe the B label is trustworthy. Nescafe got a B label. Oh, impressive. How'd they do that? <laughs> so now I don't trust the B label anymore. And we need a but, new one. <laughs> there, but there must be, there's clearly a, a defining line though between when a company is in its like startup phase and it's indie and it's cool and then eventually it just becomes a big corporate uh, and suddenly it, everybody hates it and, and it, it makes bad and increasingly bad decisions mainly for the profit of its shareholders so where's that line because i can think of loads of examples of companies who have done that i think you, i think shareholders was the line i think you said it once people <laughs> once people are invested in the company just for the money and if you're not giving them money every quarter they're not happy yeah i yeah. think that's when the company stops being quite as cool yeah, when people do it for the love of, you know, this is a good thing to do, and it's we make good stuff. Yeah, great. Yeah. But then when it's like, oh, well, actually, we could make loads of money if we go public, we make, yeah. and we get people to buy into our company. Oh, then we have to actually do everything to make money for them above anything else. We're on the grind. Now you're now. the problem. We're on the grind. We must look good, and we must be profitable every single quarter. It must be more profits than before. Yeah, it's a problem. Can yeah, Can yeah. you think of of any big corpos you like that you're like a big fan of? Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. Think, no, no, I'm I, struggling I as well. I can't even think of like a a big company that I like. Never mind like what I would label as like Megacorp, one of the one of the big known names. I dislike uh, a certain supermarket in this country who may or may not rhyme with uh, Pesco. Okay, yeah. Who at the checkouts 
they ask you, hey, do you want to round up your money to the nearest pound to donate to charity? Oh. Because I know from doing my self-assessed tax, if you can show that some of your revenue was given to charity, you pay less tax. So yeah. that's very sneaky. I mean... I dislike that. What I would like if 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 they, sorry let me sorry let me be clear I dislike people using charity donations from shoppers from its customers yeah. in an attempt to reduce its tax burden that's bad I'm not sure how much it would reduce the tax burden I'd have to look into that because I think you just get that specific bit cash that bit is free from tax so maybe it looks like you made more money and then some of that money just goes straight to charity and none of that money gets taxed. I've never gotten. I've never managed to make my overall taxes lower by giving to charity. I've only managed to give to charity for free. However, I counted my tithing one year as charity giving. I mean, it's te- technically valid. Yeah, technically valid. Yeah. Te- so what? It's the same thing though. It's like the B label. It's like it's like uh, greenwashing. It's just them trying to look like they're an ethical company, but but they're still just leaving the burden on the customer. Tesco aren't doing anything there. It would be cool if they said, "Hey, would you like us to round down?" the total to the nearest pound and donate the excess to charity. It'd be like, oh, a good thing for me, a good thing for them, and you're taking a bit of a hit yep. for free. But they wouldn't. They would never do that. No, no, no. They won't. And that's not even a lot, right? It's a tiny amount of money. But for them, obviously, it's a lot because they'd have to do it for everyone. But it's, 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 it's always this idea that the customer is burdened with making the moral choices and all of these things. Yeah, yeah. We don't have choices. We just don't. I mean, where, where is the line, I'll try, though? I'll try. I will try to think of the, of, the, of the nice companies. I just don't have any on my mind right now. There's got to be some, right? Sure. But, I mean, where's the line between, okay, I want to, to do the right thing and support the right companies versus this is really easy, i.e. instant coffee from maybe Nescafe versus getting some really nice coffee from Bird and Wine. Wild. Wild. Bird and Wild. <laughs> Wild. I was close. Close. Um, Bird and Wine's very different. I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's, like, it's a fancy I, restaurant. I think, I think it's all about each individual person. So... I think the, all of these things are moral responsibilities, but I don't think any individual can be judged for not like achieving them if they don't have the right, right. money or access. So something like coffee for me is obvious because I can buy a better instant coffee than one from Nescafe, which is a, 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 like a, a child company of the most evil company in the world, you know? Um, and I'll dodge. I'll buy a different coffee. I, I, I might have to do it in a not... Uh, one big shop at the supermarket. I'll have to go to the dedicated store, stuff like that. Okay. But it's easy to access. It is more expensive. So somebody with a little bit less money might just have to go for the cheap stuff that is maybe fair trade if they're lucky, you know? And I wouldn't judge them for that if it's based off their access via either just being able to do it or being able to afford it. Right. Um. So that's the line for me. If you can do it and you can afford it, it should be the thing you're doing. But what if you really like the stuff from the big brands? For example, yeah. the Wendy's Baconator. Truth. It's like a, an amazing burger. Truth. I love it. Um, but it's from Wendy's. I think. I think it's. I think <laughs> it is up to each one of us to to uh, enjoy the things that we enjoy that aren't maybe morally perfect <laughs> to the degree that we are comfortable with. Sure. Um, and if you feel like you could justify your decision making and not be seen in like a bad light. Or, or that the bad light you are seen in is just worth it, that's fine. This has come up recently in gaming because... Really? The new Harry Potter game came out. Oh, yeah, so it is. Right? And it costs you nothing to not buy the game and protest, you know, J.K. Rowling's continued um, 
investment of her assets and time into anti-trans rhetoric. But the internet got really up in arms. There was a very loud and very aggressive boycott that only made more people buy the game and has not been a success. Yeah. In my opinion, if you can you can buy the game, play the game, at that point, you know, somebody knows that your priorities are more about your entertainment than, you know, boycotting something that is profiting someone who's doing harm. It's not a huge thing to judge. I wouldn't I say we need to harass anyone for, for doing that, but the internet did the harassing instead. It's horrible. So that's why I try to draw a finer line of just like, there is a moral responsibility to try to, to put your money towards the least harm possible. Okay. And when things like just not engaging with media, you're not missing out on anything. You could just watch someone play it. You could pirate the game, you know? <laughs> I don't care. Do what you want. Um, but when it comes to things like just basic food, you know, the cheap food is always the least ethical. Poor people can only afford the cheap food. Correct. They're going to be the least ethical eaters. It's a huge different thing. But I don't think we ever need to be like harassing anyone for making sure. decisions on their entertainment or their, or their necessities that we don't quite agree with. It, it's a slight tangent, but there is a brand, a clothing brand out there some of you may have recognized or seen people wear before called Palm Angels. I don't know if you are aware of okay. this one. But I don't think I know. Essentially, it. It, there's a shop in Silverburn, uh, Silverburn Shopping Centre in Glasgow called Flannels, and it has the most oh, okay. high-end, upmarket, ridiculously priced clothing in the world. And I can't tell if they're just super ethical and so they're marking up their T-shirts at an astronomical right, rate, yeah. or they're just attempting to be, I don't know, the next Prime or Yeezys yeah. for T-shirts. And so the most recent collection, they sold a T-shirt with prints of sharks on it, just like lots mm-hmm. of sh- a t-shirt mm-hmm. covered in sharks okay. for 455 quid. Yeah, that's probably not just because of the material cost. Yeah, and no. I was like, is this, does no. this t-shirt fly? Does it cure cancer? No. no. Why is it, Why are we paying 450 quid for a t-shirt? I mean, upmarket ah, fashion is weird. That annoyed I, me. Like, but it's the same thing. It's the same thing because like cheap clothes are the least ethical. Cheap clothes are the ones that right. wear out the fastest. So you have to buy more sooner. But, so you buy more cheap clothes and you're the least ethical. But is this Palm Angels 455 quid t-shirt, is that no. an ethical t-shirt or is it just a company looking to make loads of money from stupid that's, people? Yeah, that's a waste of money. But there's like mid-range t-shirts that last longer and you can m- more easily trace the how it was made part of it. That it's, is true. It's accessible to the, to the people in the UK. It's not, it's not cheap enough. Um, but it's because fashion has been cheapened by this idea of like seasons and everything always only lasting half of a year at most before you have to refresh your entire wardrobe. You know, it's a scam and not ethical. So we should choose to engage with fashion differently, which for most people who choose to do it, it's just like buying secondhand, thrifting and all of that stuff. Okay. And then for some people who have a bit more of expendable income is buying like mid-range stuff and making sure it lasts like five, ten years. Right, you right. Know, it's, it's not out of reach for people who have some means. But again, poor people can't afford to do any of that. Also true. And they probably can't really afford the time to go thrifting. (laughs) So what do they do? They just have to buy the cheap stuff that is not ethical. An endless cycle of sadness, (laughs) poverty, and bad choices that we have to make. Yeah. Because it's, because we got no money. That's why. Well, yeah, because we live in a very unequal world thanks to the design of the economy yeah indeed well welcome to seesaw parade your new favorite upbeat podcast with yeah we talked about all the only good things and nice things (laughs) yeah only sunshine and roses here 
The world is a shining utopia, and we are glad to be a part of it. I'm Colin. Is that like maybe the most <laughs> moral, uh, um, morally driven intro yet? We didn't ask for you sure. what kind of hats you wore last week. Do we need to do that? Do Do we need to do the nice intro? No, no, we don't always have to. Okay. Like, sometimes okay. there will be fun chats about being in America, and other times there'll be chats about uh, capitalism and and uh, buying the right coffee. Yeah. Anyway, Colin here. James is over there. Yeah. And we're still here. Yeah, 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 yeah. I am. Can You're I there and everywhere in your ears on the airwaves, on the streamings everywhere. And thank you very much for listening. Thank you. Your least dull podcast, longest running Scottish-based podcast, talking about everything from morals to ethics to the next replacement for the First Minister. Oh, it's all happening this week. Oh, that's going to be a fun one. It is. Yeah, we're going to get into that. But uh, dear listener, you can get in touch with us, as a couple of you have. Thank you very much. At Seesaw Parade on Twitter and seesawparade at gmail.com. Though I'll tell you what, I've spent much less time on Twitter recently and I feel better. So how about that? Hey, and it's not placebo. There must be, exactly. There must be something to it because yeah. my algorithms on my on one of the Twitter accounts that I check, because I have several, five at this point. Yes. Five at this point. Yes. One of them, because I, I do a lot of basically seeing what people on the right are saying because I want to be, yeah. I want to have knowledge of what uh, the, the, op- the opposing view is. The discussion is, But one yes. of my algorithms on this account is so like hardwired to the right now that it, every yeah. time I load it up, it's just people being really nasty about everything yep. Yep. <laughs> just mm-hmm. uh, I, st- I had to i had to refresh mine d- didn't check it for like three days and then i checked it and i instantly felt worse and i thought why did i do that and now i realize it's because i was just sitting on twitter for far too long so yep undid that and uh, i recommend anyone else who's doing that stop because well, you feel much better it. and i use my time much better too limits it i think it's good to be in informed for about sure. what the opposing views are and how they're choosing to present it and how they're choosing to manipulate things. I think you gotta just like treat it like a job. That is not a free time kind of activity. <laughs> right. Okay, I get you. Uh, yeah, I'll get to some of these comments later because one of them is just, a, uh, one of them is actually related to the, the First Minister chat. So how about we start there, James? Oh, yay. Talk about this news that within a month we will have a new leader of, here in of Scotland. nation. Yeah. Right, so uh-huh. the news is that yes. the nominations have closed for the... Oh, we've got such a pick and to choose from. Yeah, loads. A real wide selection. Oh, nominations boy. for the post of First Minister have closed yes. in this SNP leadership race. We have a total of three. Mm-hmm. Number one, we've got Health Secretary Hamza Youssef. Number two, we have Was Finance Secretary Kate Forbes. Was on the list. And number three, the former Community Safety Man- uh, Minister... Ash Regan, nearly called her a manager. No, Minister Ash Regan. I don't think we mentioned her at all. No, time. we did not. No. And those three, their names will be on the ballot to replace Nicola. That's the list. And what this means... So people like Swinney ruled themselves out. People like Robertson yep. ruled themselves out. And most of those people are backing Yusuf. Yes, they are. So we'll get into this in just a second. So what's happening now is that these three names are being put forward to the ballot, and then members of the SNP will vote on who they yep, want yep, yep. to be the next leader. And we will have 
uh, our name on March 27th. So I believe that's four weeks yesterday. So four weeks, so three weeks this coming Monday, yeah. we will have a new first minister. And I want to start with uh-huh. Kate Forbes because she has been, as we did touch she's, on... She's been in the headlines. At the tail end of last year, or t- last year, feels like last year, last episode, <laughs> that she yes. may encounter some issues because of her free right. church membership. And thus has proven she has been in the headlines rather a lot. Yeah, that's a way to phrase it. Because of these concerns. But there's a few different topics I want to talk about. Number one is, is first of all... All One at a time. One at a time. This is what happened, okay? So she did her first round of media interviews. And can I just say at this point, Ash Regan is basically a non-starter in this race. It's going to be either Forbes or Yusuf, okay? Yeah, I could do a brief summary of Regan. She is trying to be the anti-trans and very hardline pro-independence candidate. She's getting maybe less than 5% of the vote. For sure. She also compared uh, how Scotland could be independent to how uh, the USA got their independence in the 18th century. Yeah, we don't need a referendum. Yeah. Just a civil war. Yeah, which is a civil war. And refused war. to elaborate on her plan. So, yeah, so sorry, she's not Ash. Win, but she's getting her name out there for future plans. Yes. Yeah, I think it's an investment. It is, it is. Okay, so we know it's going to be either Forbes or Yusuf. Back on, yes, so, back on. in said first round of media interviews, Kate Forbes was asked about if you were in Parliament at the time when the gay marriage bill was in Holyrood, yes. would you have voted for it? And because she is a member of the Free Church of Scotland, and for those of you who are unaware, the Free Church mm. very much supports mm-hmm. the view of marriage between uh, a man and a woman. And so Kate Forbes said, right. no, I would not. Okay. And then also said that she would not have supported the government's gender reform bill, but that's less, yeah, because a lot of people across the spectrum... It's less, re- yeah, lots of non-religious people are right. doing that one. Yes. didn't vote for it. But this was the main thing. She wouldn't have voted for gay marriage and yes. also then said that children out of wedlock was wrong. Right. And uh, this then led to a lot of SNP... Uh, members and, and politicians, MSPs, who suddenly were shocked. They said, I, 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 this is news to me. Kate Forbes has only been my colleague for seven years, <laughs> has only been the finance secretary for three. They, yeah. I had no idea. They, they had idea. So, <laughs> no way they didn't <laughs> They <know>. did. <laughs> Question one, okay? Right. Because the, on the back of this, okay. there was a lot of people who were very mad on Twitter. Of course. And then it seemed in in, in real life, the reaction was a bit different. As I'll, I'll tell you in just a second. Yeah. So, Initially, it was, how on earth can someone have such uh, terrible views and no. be running for first minister? No. She needs to drop out. And some of her fellow MSPs said she needs to drop out of the race. Of course, she hasn't. She ha- no. That's continued. Should someone with those sorts of views be allowed to compete yeah. for a, a position like this? Okay, so complicated answer. It depends on what you mean by those views. Right, that's a okay. chicken answer. So <laughs> the the framing that I see online, I've, you've actually used it yourself. The framing that I see quite in a, quite a lot of places is that she's got a free church view on these things and whatever, you know? But Ian Blackford was free church, right? That is true. He got in trouble from his church for not being anti-gay enough, you know, in his policies. Um, it's not a free church view to impose those views in your legislation and in your votes, right? She's aiming to represent the people, not herself as a politician. So when people are asking, would you put your personal views over 
the majority view of the nation and she says actually yes i would sometimes uh-huh. she's showing that actually yes she would sometimes even though she preceded it by saying no i would never do that you know she said oh i would never put my personal views first except these sometimes you know okay there's no except there if you say except these sometimes then there are times where you would so it's not a free church position to impose your beliefs through the law on, on people when they when the majority of the people oppose that belief that's that is that is not free church that is her view so okay can people with her view on how how legislation should work run for a uh, first minister run for parliament yes can they do it within a progressive smp who is who, who is trying to uh, follow the the conventions of human rights right probably they shouldn't because then they're going to get asked these questions like okay. will you impose your views on us if she was running for just like the christian party who wants to impose her views legally absolutely valid but if she's representing a secular party sure who represents mostly secular constituencies yep it's invalid and i did the maths i did i, I went back in time i did the googling <laughs> okay in the year of the vote uh, on gay marriage in scotland the majority view in scotland was pro-gay marriage population wide it was yeah the lowest constituency in 2013 the year before the vote was 48 percent in favor which doesn't mean 52 percent opposed because we don't know how i don't know Some how big the don't, don't know category was so if the year before it the lowest constituency representation was 48%. You got to imagine on the year, it was a little bit higher than that. And the, that constituency right. was like central Scotland, not her area, like the, not her more religious north area. So so she, there's no way she's doing anything but, but representing her own views, not the churches, sure. not a constituency, no one but hers. So, so let me be clear, because you're right to make that clarification. There are people within the free church who, because for those of you who are unaware, I myself grew up in a free church household. So mm-hmm. let me be clear. There are people in the free church who hold a different view, yeah. who actually say, you know what? It's fine. Just you do you. That's cool. That's, that is great. So that is a good point to make. Rather than it being a free church view, it is a view if, yeah. that some people within the free church have. Is that a yeah, more accurate exactly. way of saying it? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So my point of view on this is that, no, she shouldn't be barred or asked to stand down if she's got those views. Because to me, there were two further clarifications that were made. Number one, if, as you've rightly pointed out, if she is wanting to put those views forward... As her in her role as a politician, yeah, it's a fair question. She's representing the people rather than representing herself. So, does she have a? Is she really allowed? I don't. I'm using allowed here in air quotes. Is she allowed to put her personal view forward if she's been voted there by the people? Yeah, she is. Yeah. But my second point, though, would be you're in the SNP, and as we've seen over the last few years. A lot of what the SNP are putting forward is very much against what you would say, and I'm going to use my air quotes here again, socially conservative views would be. Mm-hmm. Those, There are clashes there, absolutely. Yes. But the other point, though, is that Kate Forbes said... And I believe her there. I do believe her here. She said, I wouldn't roll, I wouldn't attempt to like I mean, roll, yeah, back roll back any yeah. sort of legislation okay. because number one, there's no public support for it at all. And there's no yeah. support in Hollywood. So of course you're not going to go right. in and be like, you know what? I want to roll this back. Yeah, I, yeah. So that's where some people were saying, oh, well, you know, she deserves plaudits for being honest. I mean, she deserves plaudits for being honest. I'm glad that she's being honest. She has stopped doing that because she got asked why she's apologizing 
for for her for what she said, and she refuses to kind of answer why she's apologizing. So she has stopped oh, doing that. the like the 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 full on honesty thing, and she has gone into a more politician mode. And I respect the honesty. It is good to see somebody just saying what they actually think, at least some of the time. Um, but she doesn't deserve plaudits because she wouldn't roll it back, you know, because asking her about what she would have done isn't like asking her, and would you do it, undo it now? It's asking like a, a hypothetical for the future as well. Like if there is another vote where the secular nation is expecting a certain thing from their politicians and they are, would would they at that point impose their views again? And because she has said she'd have imposed her views in the past, the answer is, in the future, if there's another clash between a minority religious view and a majority view of the people, that she would impose it again. Okay. And I don't think... I think if she told us that she wouldn't impose her views again, then she is wishy-washy. She's got no nothing to stand on because why would she oppose it in the past and not from now on, you know? Unless she's going to say that she's changed her entire uh, philosophy on this subject, you know? So, so I don't like... The, her reasoning and I don't like her her answers and I don't think there's a way to make this out like it like it isn't a an individual who would put their their personal views ahead of the view of the people they're representing the the question to me though also has to be about the colleagues the fact that we've had the likes of John Swinney come out to say uh, that the finance secretary is not an appropriate person to be first minister and party leader, yeah. as well as a, a bunch of MSPs who have instantly withdrew their support as soon as these comments were made, which to me is is a real head scratcher because it, it seems like they all knew that Kate Forbes was well, yeah, well. a free church member and had these views anyway. It was only when suddenly it was thrust into the limelight they thought, oh, okay, well, to, to make sure the, the SNP members still like me, I should make sure that I distance myself from her. I think it touches on the same difference, where they maybe thought that she had those views, but she wouldn't legislate based off of them, or that she wouldn't publicly admit that she would legislate based off of them. Right, right. They probably thought that she'd play the politics game, and she didn't, and respect her for not just playing the politics game. Um, but... As we've seen in the past with the likes of Tim Farron, yeah, um, and as we're even seeing with the likes of Yusuf, you don't get a get out of jail free card if you, even if you have all the right answers about separation of, uh, of your views from your legislation, because it isn't going to be a popular thing for you to say. I think that gay people are immoral, right? Yeah. If if you saying that impacts. Your popularity, that's not like persecution. That's not like intolerance. That's just people not liking you for not liking them. Right. Or for so, not so, liking uh, their friends or for not liking their family. So on that point, if, if someone says, and I'm sure maybe she would use a different form of words, but if the, if the statement and the belief from a person was two men being together in, mar- in marriage is immoral, I'll profoundly disagree with you and I'll be upset by it but i'm not going to stand in your way and say oh you can't no exactly you know be a counselor you can't be a politician you can't do this why you have those views but it's going to affect my view of you exactly every everyone with these views no matter what your views are you can stand for politics and you can ask the people if they will vote for you to represent them but then if they say no because we don't we don't like your views it's it's not like intolerance and it's not like uh them being unfair they've judged your character based off of 
how you interact with the world and their expectations of what is reasonable in a society that understands that human rights have progressed or views on social issues have progressed. And if you don't have those views, yeah, yeah. if you're less popular, that's just the effect of you having the old, the outdated views on things. And um, it's inevitable um, if, if you're, especially if you're going to be um, admitting to a, to a, to a desire to le- let your views dictate your votes as a politician and it's okay. even more difficult to imagine somebody doing that as a leader of a party. Never mind as like a bag venture or somebody with like a role that only involves finance. Do you think Hamza has been given an easier time on the same issue? I think he's been... To well, be clear, for, for listeners, Hamza Youssef voted for the gay marriage bill when it was in the early stages, but he was absent for the day of the vote. Yeah, and, and people are suggesting he deliberately was absent. Yes, yes. Now, and I think he's been given an easier time, but to the degree that his actions deserve, in a sense. Like he has, he he has, he publicly stated his support for the bill in the year off. Right? He wasn't just like quietly voting for it in the early stages and disappearing. He was he was publicly in favor. Okay. He is still saying things that show that he is in favor of True. Uh, legislating in these ways. Um, so he he is he's 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 leaning more into like the Tim Farron school um, of of having a decent voting record, um, but really just not having convincing answers when asked questions. But he is he is getting examined because we're seeing. I saw I saw him getting uh, tons of headlines from uh, opposition, well media, I guess that was opposed to him, uh, questioning his his logic for why he missed the vote or why he was absent. Right, right. And none of those mentioned that he was, you know, that he had already voted for the early stages of the bill. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's complicated because a vote for the early stages doesn't mean you agree with it. You just agree that it's ready to be voted on in a later stage, uh, right? So, and I would say that his answers, di- his direct answers to the same questions that Kate Forbes were getting were more, uh, let's say, political. Or he was he was being very a uh, very politiciany yeah. about his answers, whereas Kate Forbes was just being honest. Yeah, and I don't think either one um, helps. Would give me courage in somebody as as the leader of the party sure. especially a party that has manifesto issues very much related to okay. lgbt rights and stuff like that I, I i wouldn't have confidence in either of them going forward we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second there was a comment that tom sent me this is a screenshot of a comment which says uh, i hope hamza yusuf becomes first minister and scotland becomes independent i'll never i'll never stop laughing at the historical irony of a first minister of pakistani heritage no, no. and a prime minister of indian heritage <laughs> negotiating the partition of britain that would be amazing that would be pretty beautiful if we impossible thank you for that <laughs> And, right. So, so here's the next thing, okay? Because okay. the current polls now. This is a, a few days old, but this was done after yes. the headlines with Kate Forbes, which suggests that Kate Forbes is winning the popularity vote. Now, of course, we will only find out with whom? at the end of March, but it does look like it's she is currently in the lead. Yes. But that then leads to the question of, well, what's the future of the party look like? Because as you've mentioned there, James. It's a very socially progressive party, 
And you would argue strongly that both Forbes and Yusuf are several rungs below what Sturgeon was in terms of pushing that sort that sort of agenda forward. So yeah. what is the future? Because clearly, if well, Forbes gets in, there's going to be a lot of uh, groveling, a lot of backtracking from MSPs who've been enjoying that ministerial salary and suddenly realize, oh, okay, she's in charge and now. And we're going to be on half the wages, yeah. I, we're we're going to have to work with them. So what is that future? Because it's going to upset a lot of SNP members if yeah. Kate Forbes wins. Okay, so there's a few parts to this. One, I haven't seen any polls come out that only polled SNP members, which is suspicious to me. I feel like at this it's point... because we, we don't know. We don't know who SNP members are. That's the problem with polling. Well, kind of exactly, yeah. But the fact that we're seeing so many headlines being like, this or that person is the most popular, it's just kind of, it's kind of like... It feels a bit like an agenda because we don't know who is polling best with the people who actually matter uh, because the the people who are members of the SNP is such a small group compared to like the polling groups, which is like people who voted SNP last time or people in Scotland or even worse, people in the UK, you know? Um, I do think that the polling uh, for for those broader categories is evidence to what we spoke about last week, that Scotland is not in its population as progressive as they like the people like to label us you know we're not too dissimilar from the views south of the border on many things we're not too dissimilar from views in other nations on many things we just happen to have um a very pro-independence party who 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 was trying to rebrand to be a progressive party but that that same party 20 years ago 30 years ago you know was very much in line with like a conservative viewpoint. And, you know, they had the Tartan Tory label and that still exists in a huge, huge amount of their voter base. So yeah. either you, like, I wouldn't be surprised if either of them won, right? It's not going to be a shock if Forbes still wins. Um, but, and, and, but like you're saying, either one of them will have an issue with legitimacy thereafter. Uh, Forbes will have an issue because so many of her peers and people in the party have come out to stand uh, in opposed to her leadership run, which is pretty significant and it's going to make things difficult to navigate, I'm sure. And then Yusuf, who has got more of a history of 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 legislating progressively, even if his own views are kind of unknown, uh, will be easy to pick apart from the opposition in in the manner that Tim Farron was. Just like everything okay. that he pushes, they could be asked, like, but do you believe in it? And he'll have to go like, my beliefs are irrelevant. And then they'll just keep picking away at it. So the future's looking shaky, let's say, for the SNP. But right. maybe that's what we need. Maybe we need yep. a less powerful party leading the nation and we need more co cooperation between parties in the future. I kind of like minority governments. Yeah, no, I, I'd be all for that. Absolutely. It, the final point then to me is that distinction between, as I even mentioned earlier with Twitter, Twitter can often be, as I have learned and uh, seen in my own ways in the last few weeks, yes. a really toxic place. And it is. I notice with the, the Kate Forbes thing, and I guess we will see it in the results at the end, that the views of people on Twitter perhaps are are much smaller than I than I perhaps believed. I, I often believed that Twitter was yeah. a much bigger reflection of, of how people feel. Yeah, no, but no, no, no. Yeah, no. look, it may well come to the point, and as you've as you've mentioned, you know, the SP were called the Tartan Tories for years for a reason. Because generally speaking, 
at least up until the last few years, their views were more centrist and sometimes right. So, yeah, that may well be reflected in the the voter base. You may find people who who've heard what Kate Forbes have said who's, and have yeah, actually has, thought, you know, who what? has maintained their membership. Yeah, this this actually is okay with me. We've got to remember as well. We're still in a world where in the majority of the US, maybe not the majority, but several states in the US, gay marriage is still illegal. So it's not yeah. like this is... It's not an uncommon view. <laughs> right. It's not... An, exactly. It's it's more common than I perhaps believed uh, naively yes. that it was. I believe that we are in a world where it was very much an unusual view to have. But no, it's it's clearly more widespread than I thought. Yeah, it's a widespread view and it could find Forbes getting a bunch of support from people with that view because ultimately she won't be rolling back any of those laws it will be it would be impossible even if she wanted to she says she doesn't want to we can trust her with that um the more important issues right now are more about the cost of living you know all of those things all the crises that we've been through for the last few years so if Forbes had a convincing plan for those sure thing she'll get excellent support no surprise if she wins twitter is just the angriest people or the most engaged people trying to speak the loudest. So if Forbes wins, we'll see a lot of very upset and very angry um, LGBT and ally accounts getting loud on platforms. Yeah, yeah. But if Yusuf wins, we'll see a bunch of, let's be honest, racists <laughs> getting very loud on the platform because I've been scrolling Twitter yes, also true. and there is a lot of that going on. And we'd see a lot of people who are like, let's say, opposed to Muslim faith getting very angry if if if, if he wins. So, mm-hmm. so we're going to see anger either way. And I think again, the most important thing is that it will help people who kind of just live on the internet and have an idealistic view of a progressive Scotland to realize it's way more complicated than that. Absolutely, and that we aren't living in luck. And hopefully, it will help some people realize that maybe Scotland isn't the one to trust on the trans debate as well you know <laughs> because if we're so we're so we're, we're so confused about the previous debates still and we're still fighting about those that maybe sure uh, the fact that we're 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 not decided and <laughs> is not a, is not a sign to follow and we could look at other countries that are more progressive with regards to that and see how they are uh, experiencing it okay let's move on let's talk about ukraine we have sadly passed the first anniversary of Russia's invasion, which is mad. It doesn't feel like that long ago, but it also feels like a a very, very long time indeed. So the news this week is that... I'm sure it feels like a lifetime for those who have been displaced and whatnot. Absolutely, yes. The Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has said he wants to meet China's leader Xi Jinping Mm -hmm. to discuss... Beijing's proposals on how to end the war. So speaking on said first anniversary, uh, Mr. Zelensky said the proposals signaled that China was keen to find peace in the region. In a quote, he said, I want to believe China will not supply weapons to Russia. And this is off the back of the US, who publicly said... We are very concerned that China is going to start sending actual weapons to yeah. uh, Russia. It seems that at the moment they've been supplying perhaps tech and other other forms of support. But China had uh, published a plan calling for peace talks, respecting national sovereignty, although they failed to uh, go into the specifics of what national right. sovereignty looks like. Yeah, what does that mean for Crimea? Yeah, and this, this 12-point document it failed to specifically say that Russia must withdraw troops. It also uh, condemned the usage of unilateral sanctions, which is seen by most people as a criticism of uh, the West. 
and China yet to respond to Mr. Zelensky's call for a summit. Yeah. So, yeah, a, a lot of virtue signaling from it was it people. seems like it seems like virtue signaling like they condemn both sides and we must have peace talks it's kind of a bit of a waste when someone's being active and aggressive and killing a bunch of people i mean and another party is yeah. protecting their land you know? biden responding to the chinese plan he told abc news uh president putin is applauding it so how good can this plan be truth a truth i did not know if putin liked it or not so i i read that but no, like hopefully, hopefully they talk. Hopefully they, hopefully they talk with with Zelensky and take it seriously. It's everything just feels so, so much like it's so so easy to cast doubt in it all because it just seems so feeble and weak. Well, um, but the, maybe they'll come out with some stronger statements in the future that seem more actually useful. The main issue here is that China is yet to ever condemn the invasion. They have yeah. yet to say a single thing about it, and that's the sticking point. Yeah, well, what they know that by, I can see the thing is, it's weird because they know that by allowing the war or not getting involved in prolonging it, they weaken most of their biggest rivals economically a little bit, right? Russia, obviously very weak. Um, America having to invest so much into it, uh, for them, what is a proxy war, very, very much weakened. But at the same time, the American military industrial complex loves this stuff. So getting to like send all of their old equipment that they were going to have to decommission anyway and then making the new stuff will just boost their economy. So I don't actually know what the why you'd sit back and just let this thing happen because it's kind of like for America right now. Uh, it's just an investment. They're they're doing their whole war thing again, and they get to look like the good guys when, like, obviously they never are. Um, so I don't I don't know what the play is for China here. Why would why they would just sit back? Um, because if they want um, a, a prosperous and a profitable future for themselves, I don't think this war leads to it in any way, unless they're planning to like no let it go until Russia is so weak that China can steal some of their land. But I don't know if Russia's got much sure much worth that effort because that would be an, just a yet another massive issue. The other, I, I don't see it. I don't see the long play. The other issue here, China aside, and also the the fact that this war i'm sure is going to go on for years because i was looking at a map today right of the russian progress so far and they've taken about 20 percent of the country yes huge swathes of land it's I, I fail to see a scenario in which russia decides you know what you can have it all back because yeah exactly they took crimea and they kept crimea so the regions they've taken ukraine so far they ain't going to give them back and so the only resolution i see is if, and it doesn't look like Ukraine are going to go for it, is if they say, actually, you know what, see the bits of land you've taken? Yeah, no. Fine, they're yours. Because that is is just going to be essentially the encouragement that Russia needs to keep taking more. And as we've seen in the last few days, now there's talk of Moldova yeah. being invaded. Yeah, and, there's, and Belarus, there's, yeah, well, who for months have been supporting Russia's efforts surreptitiously, also being more open about their support of, of Russia's yeah. plan. And my final point, James, before I hand over to you, okay. is of the Western support. So Poland, uh-huh. in the last few days, have said they've now delivered four 
uh, Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine and was ready to deliver more. Yeah. Germany said it will provide 14. Spain, Canada also sending some. And the US, by far the biggest provider of military aid, has pledged to send 31 right. of its own tanks. The UK is providing 14. Right. And that, to me, is, is the final aspect of this because it will get to a point, and we are seeing this already in the US politically, where support for their country's support of Ukraine wanes. Indeed. And people think, hey, why are you sending all these all this aid to this country when they're not exactly a direct ally of I, of ours? They're on the yeah. other side of the world yeah. in a war that they're going to lose. So yeah. what's the point? Well, I think, I well, again, I think the US... Well, the point is doing the right thing. That's the point. I think for the US, the point isn't doing the right thing. I think for the US, the point is, you know making Russia lose, which um, for them doesn't rely on it being the right thing. They would do it even if it was the wrong thing, right? That's what they did by trying to invade different parts of the Middle East. It was mostly, like, oftentimes it was just, like, proxy war of Russia, make Russia lose, you know? And it wasn't the right thing to do, but, hey, Russia would be losing if they did it. So, hey. Um, so, for the U.S., their first priority, obviously, is just uh, asserting their power and their influence. Uh, they just happen to have a cause that most of the world agrees is the good cause this time. Um, fortunately for for them in Congress and Senate and all that, um, being anti-Russia is still the, the more popular position in both Democratic and Republican parties. It is only the minority view of those very loud um, internet famous Republicans um, to be anti uh Aid for the for the for the Ukrainian war. Yeah, yeah. We're seeing the bigger names, uh, the the all the oldies coming out and getting interviewed on Fox News and talking about how important it is and how it actually isn't very much money at all. It's like a very small percentage of the budget. Blah 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 blah. So for the U.S., they they can stay invested forever because they are just a military nation, and the Democrats and the Republicans both just love sending the military places and making money from it. And they are making money from it, but it's just not the taxpayer that's making the money. It's the American companies that make the money from it. Yeah. Um, and they've got agreements to like help with the rebuilding efforts as well, which is American companies making money from the war. So easy peasy. The rest of the world is doing what they can. Obviously, a lot of them are recognizing that they could be a target down the line in the future. A lot of them are recognizing that their neighbors could be a target. Mm-hmm. Um and supplying arms now shows that in the future we will be united as well. I think the European response is ethically has to be strong because we supported Russia for so long with our money for their gas and their oil. We gave them tons of cash in the hope that they would maintain peace. As soon as it doesn't maintain peace, we are we are morally obliged to step in and help because we failed to to maintain peace through like the money agreements. Right, right, um, right. But we've also seen, I think, I think there's been new headlines coming out from Switzerland talking about dropping some elements of their neutrality to try and support the war. Uh, Japan have pledged a lot of uh, support in, in like, okay. but I, don't, I don't know if it's just money, but like just actual support and monetary value of a crazy amount. So it is very global. And then we got China doing what China do. And we got India doing what India yeah. do. And it's just, they are, they're both more just trying to continue making money rather than getting involved. Okay, let's uh, take it back to the UK and talk about the should the the should shortage no the food shortage of salad vegetables. Yeah, you know because the funny thing here maybe I'll, we eat good after all. I'll get to this in a second. Okay, is what's causing it or well, what's well, apparently yeah. causing it? So here's the 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 latest headline. Okay, Lidl 
is the latest British supermarket to introduce limits on sales of certain fresh fruit and veg. Is it World War II again? Due to shortages. Are we getting a ration? It is. So the company's putting limits of three per customer on sales of peppers, tomatoes and cucumber due to a recent increase in demand following similar moves by Tesco, Aldi, Asda and Morrison's. Is it three of each or is it like three total? Can you get like... I think it's three total. So like two tomatoes and a pepper, you go to grab a cucumber and yep. Mr. Little comes along and just like slaps you. They say, nope. No. <laughs> Put it back. <laughs> I see those two peps. You can't hide them. Slap you with the cucumber. Ooh. <laughs> anyway. No, I'm in. <laughs> this is what is now being attributed to extreme weather. Yes. Hitting harvests abroad. Yes. But how about this, James? On the, the 16th paragraph uh-huh. of this BBC News article, uh-huh. the, the, for the first time, the word Brexit is mentioned. Uh, the 16th paragraph. Imagine. There's speculation that <laughs> Brexit could be the reason why the UK is bearing the brunt of shortages because would you, would you just know it, James? Other European countries are fine. Oh, what are they like Pictures getting the priority media of the harvest because they work together? Have shown is there a union? Supermarket shelves across oh, continental Europe no still Full with fresh produce. Oh and so here we go. Paragraph 16 yeah. and 17 of this BBC <laughs> article, Brexit is mentioned for the first time, and the previous 15 are filled with, oh yes, it's adverse weather. I oh mean, yeah, it's yeah, cold weather thing, in Spain. It yeah, it's, it's definitely bad weather in North Africa. That's the main problem. It, well, that, yeah. And then we get to Brexit. It's because it is. It's almost as if, James, the BBC are attempting to put their own <laughs> bias into an article because, hmm, yeah. I wonder, maybe yeah. the government has an opinion on, on what should be blamed yeah. for this food shortage? But it, but it is because they can do it by manipulating or rearranging the truth. Because obviously, the extreme weather is the reason that there is fewer crops than expected. And then, obviously, Brexit is the reason that the distribution is imbalanced. It would be more balanced. Right. And we'd get more of it if we were in the single market. easier to trade with <laughs> yep. in the market, you know? Um, but obviously, you want to hide that second one because you can blame extreme weather and also increased demand. Once again, <laughs> that's, that's we're it. just too self. It's the toilet paper crisis all over again. They just can't keep up with our slightly increased demand. Um, but no, yeah, it's exactly that. And like, yeah, weather patterns, we got to get used to this now. We're going to have extreme weather in the world for the rest of our lives, which means that yep. crops and produce and everything will be less predictable. Um, I hope we could we could just invest in the ability to store some things for longer. Uh, and make our own. Make our own in, in the UK, of course. Grow our own, even. Um, well, it, yeah, grow our own. But it turns out farmers are actually really upset about Brexit now. <laughs> I saw I saw people talking about Clarkson's farm and how farmers are so upset about Brexit and I'm like, you, you guys voted for this. It's, Why? <laughs> Why must we suffer? And then you get to stand on the little soapbox and be like, we voted for this, but it's just not going very well. On, on the point of weather, though, it is shockingly March tomorrow. Oh, truth. In fact, by the time you listen to this, dear listener, I'm sure it will be March. And hey, hey March. What a, what a nothing winter that was here in Scotland, by the way. Did we have snow? It, I think it's, it's certainly in Glasgow. It snowed once. That was it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Once in like December, though. And it was. We've not. I've certainly not had snow in twenty twenty three. Which. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, look, yeah. there there may be some in March, but 
Yeah, there might be. We I, we fight we fight still in April and May before. Just saying, um, but no, yeah. Usually, usually January is the freezy cold one. Yeah. I don't think that happened this year. How about that? That's weird. Get we better get used to it. It's almost like the weather patterns of the world are changing at a weird rate since mankind industrialized. Yeah. But no, but even mm. in even in my mm. life in our lifetime, you know, I can think back to as as a kid. Yeah, yeah. Did it does feel? I mean, sure, it might be the rose tinted well, glasses, but I'm sure the science would back me up that the winters are warmer than they used to be. Well, the thing, the, the thing with the weather patterns, and because, well, at least where we live, because of right, things right. like yep. El Nino, El Nino, right, blah blah blah, weather patterns kind of they go up in steps. So for like ten, I don't know the actual number of years. I'm gonna say ten. It could be five. It could be eight. It could be more. It could be less. But for ten years, there will be like highs and lows that average around about a specific temperature in winter and summer, and then it will jump up okay. suddenly because El Nino does a thing or whatever i don't know and then for the next 10 years it will average out around a, up and down around a wee bit and then it will jump up and i think we're going to get the jump up this year or next year so it's going to get worse so this what you've experienced and and the rose tinted glasses was probably about the difference of the last jump from like between when we were kids and when we were adults and then we're going to have another jump now i yeah, think fun um and that, that kind of thing is going to keep going uh, forever and ever and ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until we start to actually care. I did see the UN um, put out a statement talking about how, hey, it's actually too late now. We better start trying to think about reflecting the sun away from the earth. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay, good luck. The UN is actually is actually beginning that discourse. Mm. <laughs> Let's oh, start great. seeding some clouds. But no, like obviously that, that specific technology has been... Uh, ingrained into our minds is something to fear because it is the basis of so many the world is frozen now uh, films and yeah, media, yeah, yeah. you know but humans made more clouds and then the world free froze to death but we are actually talking about it now we're gonna try it I think Right, James, we have a lot of stories to get through. Time is ticking down. Let's talk about Nicola Bully. This is a story which we are yet to discuss oh, no. because yeah. for me, as a, uh, a former journalist, I saw the fact that this was a missing woman. She was vulnerable and basically there was no sign of her. Police said she fell in the river and I thought, right, that's a non-story. However, it has descended into something much worse because yes. Lancashire Police, after weeks of criticism for failing to do various things, they released some seriously personal information about Miss Bully, who at this point had been missing for three weeks, yeah. saying that the 45-year-old had suffered with significant alcohol issues it's crazy. and ongoing struggles with the menopause. And everyone reacted with horror and said, why on earth are you putting are that you out? telling us this? And that was then reacted with, including MPs, legal experts, privacy campaigners. We also then had the likes of the Prime Minister and, and various other government ministers saying they were going to meet with Lancashire Police to say, what on earth are you guys doing? So yeah. that to me, uh, and feel free to chuck in your own opinion here, this to me was a rural police force thrust into the headlines and suddenly any sort of Ooh. incompetencies which would have been missed or glossed over if it had just been a missing person story and that was the end of it, yeah. because it suddenly took over and TikTok sleuths were on the loose because apparently people in their armchairs know more than the police on the scene do. All of that just meant that they it became a huge story, and then when they lost all control of communication, they, 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 they decided, right, you know what, yeah. we're going to put an end to the rumor, and they put out something completely inappropriate about this poor woman and her yeah. family. So, yeah, I was 
really shocked by that. I'm sure they will get into a lot of trouble. Well, they should, because ultimately the police, you know, we're supposed to question their competence at all times. They're supposed to be able to deal with their competence being questioned at all times, right? So if there is scrutiny about maybe they're not doing a good enough job, it's their job to deal with that scrutiny. Yep. Um, so in this instance, I'm sure, and I'm not in the police, so I don't know what their media training is, but I'm pretty sure there's a lot of ways to imply that you are 100% certain that somebody was just uh, in a seriously stressful state of existence and therefore you've got less concerns about, you know, what happens to them because you just know what happened to them as the police. You know, you've investigated. We know about them. We know the time frame. We know where they were. We're pretty sure there was no, like, foul play, you know? There's, there's statements along those lines. They, they put out a, a further statement, by the way, to say it was an unusual step oh, no. to go into this level of detail, but we felt it was important to clarify what we meant no. when talking about vulnerabilities. They didn't need to clarify. That's the thing, because we're all used nope. to the police saying vulnerabilities, and we go, oh. And we, we know the, the subset of things that that could mean, and that's enough for the majority of us to recognize. And then the, the rest of the sleuths who are just like angrily saying things on the internet, they don't matter to the police. Why are they no. Why are they trying to save their necks and look good yep. by spilling such personal detail? As, and it had to be panic, but I do not empathize with that panic at all. It is their job. Someone's got someone's to lose their job for this kind of a slip up, in my opinion. Sure. Okay. Let's talk about Brexit. Rishi Sunak has promised the beginning of a new chapter as he unveils the Windsor ah. Framework deal on Brexit. Yes, we are talking mm. about the big B very, again. Very patriotic name. Mm. Uh, so mm. he mm-hmm. met with the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen on Monday, having agreed a new Brexit deal for Northern Ireland, which will now have to Yarp. get past his own MPs and Northern Irish Unionist MPs. Yarp. Basically, this is going to make trade with Northern Ireland following Brexit, smoother. That's that's eh, the gist of it, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, technically. So th- this new deal, uh, to summarize it very simply, it's going to use green and red lanes where goods staying in the UK either going to or from... It's <laughs> not very friendly to the colorblind. No, <laughs> indeed. How do you they use blue for the EU? <sighs> Who knows? But anyway, green <laughs> goods will be for those which are either coming or going to the UK and staying within the UK. Whereas if it's yes. moving to the EU through Northern Ireland into uh, Ireland, which is in red. the EU, it will use a red lane. And there's various other like VAT and uh, uh, excise changes, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Rules only apply to certain things, blah, blah, so blah. It's, it seems like some people, though, James, are still unhappy with this new well, new yeah. deal. I mean, you're not going to please everyone, right? That, that's the whole, that was the whole difficulty of the deal, is that the Tories, in their own party, have to have to make the hardline Brexiters happy, right? And the hardline Brexiters want basically no deal. <laughs> and then the Tories, with their agreements with the DUP or just by recognizing Northern Ireland in general as a place to sympathize with, recognize that they need to make a deal that gives Northern Ireland, you know, legitimacy within the UK, but also respects its existence as a place that land borders the EU, the only yep, part yep. of us that does, you know? So it's a lose-lose for them. They're either going to upset their party or they're going to upset specific people with specific views on Northern Ireland. They've tried to find a comfy middle ground here, but this is only the agreed 
uh, deal to bring to those different groups. So we're yet to see what the Tories are going to think about it. We're yet to see what people in Northern Ireland are going to think about it. Uh, it doesn't. It, it, they're saying like it's going to free things from bureaucracy, but like I, I don't see how. Obviously, we're still going to have to check those lanes. We're still going to have to be vetting things and making sure that generally people are obeying the rules. So it's maybe like less bureaucracy on average for each individual good, but it still feels like not free trade, you know, with with Northern Ireland. Yeah. It's progress. It's good to see Tories trying to make progress on a deal that isn't just go, like tearing up some papers and going, no, okay, my way. I, I, I want to talk about a couple of more stories before we move on one is again in the uk right where the energy price cap is back in the news this is how much we are Yay. paying for our gas and electricity and oh, mine went up finally oh did it oh good well do you know my yeah, one did 56 increase bulb who sent me an email and said oh by the way we've recalculated every bill that you've submitted since september 2021 huh. and rather being rather than being 700 pounds in credit you're now 14 pounds in credit oh convenient and i thought that's convenient yeah and that really just how about that really very much like they picked a number that was barely over zero deliberately <laughs> yep but uh hey ho that's um you know my uh that's big business for you that's the corpus for my, you my 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 heating is separate from my electricity so my heating bill specifically is going up uh, per unit, a hundred and fifty-six percent increase. So, oh my days! From anyway. from like eleven per whatever to like twenty something per whatever. It's crazy. Okay, well, th- the headline here is that everyone's bill is going to go up in April because the government help on energy is stopping, but the energy mm-hmm. price gap is going down. So, Ofgem announced that the typical household bill will rise to three thousand pounds a year in April, which is horrible. But the energy price guarantee... That's more than 10% of the average wage. It is. You know? uh, the energy price guarantee, which was the government's uh, discount that they were applying to every every household, that stops. Yeah. So we're all going to end up paying more. But it's going to be warmer, so we're not going to use uh, anything. Because of that lack of help. And that, that's that's the best. That's it. We're, like People are going to be paying more. Companies are going to keep making record profits. And the Tories are going to go, oh, I wish we could help more. But we're, we're very strained right now. Yeah. It's... Again, a, a really staggering amount of money if we consider that just before, what was it, January last year, the average energy bill was something like £1,400 yeah. a year, maybe £1,200 a year for yeah. the average household. And people were struggling. Now it's going up to um, just over three. Yeah. Um, people are going to be, and it, and it's it's maybe going to be okay for the summer, you know, because we don't use our heating so much then. Uh, our houses are very good at keeping heat in because we're, we're they're designed to be in cold climates. Um, but next winter, it's, it's going to be horrible for people. Yeah. It already was horrible for people. And what are we doing to help horribleness? We're saying like, hey, work more hours. Too bad. Work more hours and maybe get a better job. Okay. Let's <laughs> Come on. go to the States and once again talk about Twitter because it turns out that uh, I uh, thought I was going mad. Uh, and every time I open uh, my Twitter, despite the fact I don't follow Elon, Elon Musk, number three on your he list. was at the top of my profile. Uh, oh, he was at the top. He's always, he was always my third. Yep. He was my third tweet. <laughs> right. So it turns out 
that this was done intentionally because <laughs> Mr. Musk created a special algorithm to make sure it's that not a everybody special algorithm. It's a everybody. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Musk to the top. Sees his tweets first. Well, he owns the company, so it's within his rights. It's just very right. cringy. <laughs> <laughs> right, precisely. So this was after apparently his tweet about the Super Bowl did worse than Joe Biden. Yeah, and uh, the CEO and owner at two thirty-six in the morning. Uh, his brother, this, uh, this is after the Super Bowl, his brother, James Musk, who works for the company. How about that? Oh, wow. um, Sorry, not brother, cousin. Oh. <laughs> My bad, not to defame him. Less nepotism. Uh, he, he wrote on their Slack, the Slack message boards of Twitter, can anyone make dashboards and write software? Please help solve an urgent problem. High urgency. If you're willing to help out, please thumbs up this post. <laughs> and basically, they have... They have boosted his tweets something like a thousand percent, which means that regardless of if you follow him or not, you're seeing the tweets. It's just so sad. It, it is sad, isn't it? He's clearly such a troubled and sad individual. Um, but again, like it's his, his, his company now, so he can do that. Yep. Um, we talked about it before. Like um, he fired somebody because they told him he's just less trendy now than he was before. It's true. And it's clearly on his mind that his tweets just aren't getting as much views, and he's 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 addicted to the to the analytics. And it's easy to get addicted to the analytics. That's what all of these websites do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I when people are doing things like YouTube and stuff, I I work on YouTube. Um, I, I tell people, don't look at the analytics. Don't look at the numbers. Maybe once a month, check in and have a look at the the overall general graphs. Yeah. But the but YouTube designs their analytics so you can click through them all, see the different numbers for every single video, see the trends, see who's clicking what, see who's watching what. Mm-hmm. And it's designed to get you, the creator, addicted to checking it and trying to improve yep. and trying to do and more. Make more. And Twitter is doing the same. They're now making views visible, engagement more visible, analytics easier to see. And it's again, it's designed to get you addicted. And Elon, unfortunately for him, is the ultimate example of unhealthy addiction to like yep. public viewing numbers, not even public approval, because most people just don't like him anymore, but just like mm-hmm. people talking about him. He's addicted to it. He's got to move on. Talking of social media, let's stick with it. Instagram and Facebook users will now be able to pay for a blue tick. Ah, That's been announced by its parent company, Meta. Yeah, how about that? So Meta Mm. verified... They're almost like in a financial crisis. Mm. (laughs) ...will cost $12 or a tenner if you're in the UK, uh, and $15 if you're on iPhone, unlucky. (laughs) And it's already available in Australia and New Zealand. Looks like it's going to roll out across the rest of the world over the next few months. Mark Zuckerberg said the move will improve security and authenticity. Ah. Mm. And what do you and get? And also their bottom line. But he didn't say that, I added it in. Yeah, we'll definitely do the bottom you know, <laughs> No, what, what do you get for being verified? So it basically means you will have a blue tick okay, and it will show that you are important. That's it. Okay, cool. Similar to Twitter, it's meaningless. <laughs> That's it. But people will do it. People will do it because we are a little bit narcissistic, right? And we want, oh, they will. We want they to will. be seen as real and valid. Yeah, gosh. Okay. One final uh, story, and this is uh, slightly more serious than Blue Ticks. This is in Tennessee, okay. where the state is about to pass mm-hmm. a bill to ban drag shows in public. Right. And uh, restrict it to certain venues. And this is after, as we have seen right. in right wing uh, spheres over the last few months, lots of headlines, lots of angry people about drag. Yeah. Yeah. So this bill 
is classifying male and female impersonators as adult cabaret performers right. and is banning performances harmful to minors as defined in their new obscenity law. Right. And uh, yeah, so that's really concerning. Well, yeah. Because that would mean, I presume, that Pride is now banned in Tennessee. Well, right? well Pride probably isn't technically banned, but like if anybody was in drag and taking part in Pride, it would be banned, right? Okay, but that's bad. The thing to pick apart for me is that it's already criminal to be obscene around children, right? It is. So this ban doesn't actually make any obscenities less likely to happen. What it is doing is redefining obscenity to include all drag, whether it is obscene drag or just drag, you know? Yeah, yeah. So they're redefining and protecting no one purely i guess a big part of it is just because they like having power and wielding it and their voters vote for that stuff Mm -hmm. but mostly it is just this is the version of like an actual persecution this is harming individuals oftentimes who who have careers on this from being able to to partake in those things happily and as easily and in a way that that makes it more normalized and acceptable. Because, again, the obscene stuff is already banned in public. The, the obscene stuff is already banned around children. If you're seeing right. obscenities uh, around children, you can already and should already be reporting it, right? This, 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 this rule does nothing yep. except like make it an obscenity, let's say, to do a pantomime on the street. Okay. Right? It actually probably makes it an obscenity, which is silly. Yeah, I think I think it maybe makes it criminal to do a pantomime at all with children in the audience. It would be in a restricted venue, yeah. Because even in venues, they can't do obscene things with children in the audience. But drag is labeled as obscene. So even in a private venue, just right, it would still be considered an obscenity to do, and therefore you can't have children in the audience. So something like panto is considered obscene and criminal at that point, which hopefully for people in the UK, which I think Panto, Panto is probably more popular here than elsewhere, Yeah, kind of helps us frame what is being targeted here. Because it's not the obscene stuff that's being targeted, it's just the normal stuff. Yeah. That but we are used to, that we used to go on school trips to see and nobody questioned because it was it is just normal. It is just a form of art. So that's that's my issue with it. It's, as I've talked about before... Drag being art and even something like comedy being its own art form because you can do comedy shows for children. Yeah. You can also do comedy shows which are extremely R-rated. Yeah. You get drag shows which are child-friendly. You also get adult-oriented drag shows. And banning drag as an art generally is a political statement rather than actually doing anything to protect children. Because as you've said... Yeah, because... These obscenity laws... Look, you could be wearing lederhosen and be obscene in front of children. You'd still get arrested. Because it's not what you're wearing, it's what you're doing. It's content. The obscenity stuff is already obscene and criminal. (laughs) Like, that's just it. It's basic. Yeah. But this is the kind of law... It looks like, by the way, Tennessee will be first of a few states to do something similar. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. This is the first of many steps that each of these states is going to be taking. It's just a hint of the future that these, um, in this case, Republican-led states are going to be trying, what the things are going to be trying to do. Yeah. But worryingly, we see we see a lot of the same rhetoric over here in the UK. Um, 
and we're we're a couple of years behind maybe the anti-trans politicization started in the states in 2016 people tend to say that it started in the uk in 2018 uh, but lots of the lots of the influences were just shipped over from the states quite literally uh, the same companies the same funding the same uh, lobbyists so we could be a few years away from people arguing for this kind of thing to be in the uk as well and it is clearly just wrong i i like i can't think of i can't think of of people when my when my schools were 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 planning like to go to see the pantomime i can't think of any parental you know like anger mm-hmm. and granted i was a child so maybe i just missed it but i don't remember well any of my classmates being left out because their parents weren't let, happy. Let me make this modern because I have several friends who are drag queens. In fact, my first ever boyfriend is now a very well-known drag queen. Yeah. And I know the impact that even just hearing that news, the chilling impact that has yeah. on them as a performer to think, well, hold on a second, for the drag queens in Tennessee, how are they meant to feel? Let alone the ones in Scotland who are, yeah, as you say, there are certain people who very much dislike what CJ does. But yeah. knowing that it's it's much worse now for people in certain states and it's going to be worse yeah. is, uh, yeah, it's it's very sad. Yeah, uh, but that's why that's why we need to have more people actually properly trying to influence views instead of just pl- constantly platforming all of these, all of these um, grifters for the most part who say that these laws and that these views are just to protect the children or to protect the women and all of these things. We need, we need to be countering that properly rather than just platforming it like it's true because clearly it's not. The, the, the children are no more protected than they were before and this is still being labeled as protecting the children. Sorry, side note, did you see that any under oath in a defamation lawsuit against Fox News, oh, no. Rupert Murdoch, the Fox News owner and billionaire tycoon, has admitted that his television hosts endorsed the idea that the election was stolen oh. and he regrets it. Oh, oh he regrets that? it. Then we, we better let them just like yeah. get away scot-free then. They regret it, so it's okay. <laughs> mm. Oh, man. It's no surprise. It's too no late surprise. Now. I mean, I hope it's too late now and that, they, and that all these people get in legitimate trouble for causing huge amounts of danger to massive parts of the population because they are deliberately being divisive and as much as there's a lot of people in the center and a lot of people on the right who like to say that the left is equally divisive and all of that stuff there is a vast difference between being intolerant and hateful and then hating intolerance there's a huge difference between those things one of them is good they're also lying about an election that was stolen yeah and then that's also just fly out bad ter- yeah obviously <laughs> Okay, well, let's end this cheery episode with a oh, review of two sad things that I've seen or listened to. What about you? I watched a, I watched a not sad thing. Yeah, good. Okay, well, let me tell you about the first sad thing. Okay. And it's The Whale. Oh. Yeah, so this is the movie which I believe we talked about the trailer. Yes. Uh, a few months ago. This is some, the yeah. Brendan Fraser-led oh, what a guy. drama, which is up for several Oscars. Brendan Fraser in the lead role. Also, Hong Chow, who is up for Best Supporting Actress. And Sadie Sink, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who you would recognize from Stranger Things, the ginger girl. Stranger Things. 
Yeah, or that other horror thing that's, that, that Netflix did. <laughs> that, that other thing. It's directed <laughs> by Darren Aronofsky, who you may know from Black Swan. Yes. He's done lots of artsy things in the past. And this, of Indeed. course, is an A24 movie. A24. Because they just love him so much. They just got them all the best stuff. Want, maybe, maybe they're one of the companies that I like. I don't know if they've got any shady dealings. I'm going to look at that. <laughs> Are they unethical? I have no idea. But turns they engage out, with Hollywood, so it's a bit questionable. But... This, this movie was originally a play because the entire way through, I'm thinking, this feels it's like it's been taken from the stage. And turns out, yes, it was originally a play. Yes. The movie itself is set in one house. That's right. it. Yes. Um, there's, there's a couple of flashbacks on a beach, but that is it. Okay. And there's only six characters in the entire movie. Cool. So it's very much a condensed stage play, but put onto film. And as you'd expect, Brendan Fraser, give him all the awards. Yeah. He is phenomenal. And once again, you stop remembering you're watching uh, the former George of the Jungle. You just fully believe you are watching this particular character. It was a real shame to me that the trailer did spoil some of the big beats. Well, yeah, the trailer was the film, yeah. right? Because when the when those big moments hit, I just thought, oh, I'm just watching the trailer again, rather than being really brought into the film. So, as a sum of its parts, the movie itself is very by the by because mm-hmm. yeah. stage adaptations into movies, eh, you know, they always lose something. It's very much like Fences, which I reviewed a few years ago. Denzel Washington, Viola Davis, yeah, unbelievable performances, but the movie. Yeah, and that's basically the same here. I think you got to approach it like you're watching a play, which is not obviously... Sure. The, you're never going to know that until you've already seen it. Yeah, that being said, it is... It's moving, it's emotional, and my goodness, was I hit by some unexpected material that the trailer hid about the character's backstory and why he is the size he is. Some... uh, Okay. Yeah, some really close-to-home issues. I'll leave it there. Okay. The, okay. the only other issue, though, with this movie, because it hangs on its performances, and the performances are, to a fault, phenomenal. Even Sadie Sink, who I felt was very, at the start, very one-note, angry teenager, but actually throughout the, the movie grew into that character, and, and there was more nuance than I gave her credit for. So it, it is well-acted, but the the issue is that I have, it relentlessly attempts to make the viewer feel something by... Basically, just shouting at you, okay. Like, hey, look, look how how religion causes lots of guilt okay. and remorse, okay, and also treatment of gay people by the church is terrible, okay. Oh, you should definitely feel sorry for these people. So maybe like just Whereas, too on the nose rather than it's like... really on the nose. So that part missed me with that, but performances fantastic. Fraser absolutely should win the Oscar, and if he doesn't, I'd be very surprised because. Oscar loves a comeback story. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Oscar, the, the singular person. The Oscars. Oscar, yeah. Love a comeback story. Os- so, Mr. Oscar or Mrs. Oscar. <laughs> that's what's going to happen. I'm convinced he will and well deserved because it's excellent. He's excellent. No, uh, yeah, no. Again, I, I would I would I would love it. It's not just cuz it's a good comeback story, but because the reason that it's a, that he needed to do a comeback is just so disgusting. Yeah, yeah. And his ability to get back out from that would be worthy of awards. Um, but then knowing, like, yeah, like you're saying, if it is if it is that good a performance, it's not even like just a hand me. It's not like, oh, we'll give it to him for sympathy reasons. It would just be a real good story to see it happen. And I, I really do hope it does. 
Um, we've obviously talked about him for ages yeah. as an actor who just never got any chances anymore because of the uh, the blacklisting. And he was blacklisted because he was a victim. And it's disgusting. And it is emblematic of Hollywood's problems. So him getting to come back and show that, you know, that is in the past now, he's he's stronger than that. And... And the public support that he's received, it's all just so nice and so charming. And I'm sure it wasn't worth it. There's nothing that can make that kind of uh, abuse and being a victim worth it. Um, but I, I hope it, uh, all of this success um, feels genuine because it, it looks just so okay. well earned. Tell me, what have you watched? I watched everything, everywhere, all at once. Okay, this is the Oscar-nominated movie. It's winning awards everywhere. Heavily Michelle nominated. Michelle Yeoh, Kei the directors, screenwriting, all this stuff. Yeah. What did you think? They've they've won lots of awards at the Screen Actors did. Um, whatever Guild Awards. They've been wanting they've been winning awards at the directors stuff. Um and I think it is deserved, all of it. I think it really is. Um my my only, I think, complaint about the film is that it maybe needed a little bit more editing, but Maybe it was just because I was too tired. Okay. <laughs> Possibly, I felt like it was a it was just a touch long. But that's such a nice complaint to have about such a heavy, while also emotionally impactful film that is also a comedy. Yeah. You know, it, it, what they've done is so impressive, and it is. I'm not going to say an orig- so original and and a brilliant new idea, but rather what it's doing is pulling from Hollywood and from other um, film spaces, so many different aspects of films and combining them into one, that it's an impressive feat. The number of things that they've managed to do with one film uh, is amazing. So yeah, I think it deserves like awards for the directing. It deserves awards for like the... Uh, I think it deserves more awards for the acting yep. than than I, than I expected. Sure. Um, because I think I think even uh, Michelle Yeoh, who maybe isn't playing a character who who gets to flex that the 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 usual anger, yeah. sadness, and you know sliminess that Hollywood and the Oscars love, the the range that she had to 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 display in this in this film is crazy. For, like, and like the same applies to the daughter character uh, played by Stephanie Sue. Um, mm-hmm. so, so those two. The, the two they're the two main characters obviously and they're, they're they're the way that they are asked to have not just a range of emotion over the course of the film and as their characters evolve but the range of like different types of influences that they're asking to be pulled from and and to perfectly put on display in a way that feels natural to the characters amazed me um i i i really liked it and i loved the balance that they were trying to strike and i, I really liked that their female characters didn't go through the same masculinization to become the hero that you see in so many other like action comedies or so many other films in general where uh it doesn't matter where where the where the female character starts whether they are um the 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 usual weak and feeble Uh kind of female character that you see in so many films or in this case the kind of like middle-aged snappy kind of archetype that you see in so many films usually all of them end up just becoming like cool and masculine to win the day and in this case that was like hinted at as the wrong answer and that was beautiful um so so those two characters i loved every aspect of however my favorite and it's a bit of a shame to have a favorite that isn't one of the main characters um, or one of the two main driving points of the story my favorite character 
was was Waymond. So Ki Kwan. And oh, yeah. I think it's maybe my favorite and the best representation of masculinity in Hollywood that I have seen ever. Because he wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he was none of the cliches. Um, it's true. It was, it was a beautiful um, depiction of like vulnerability as a masculine trait and kindness as a masculine trait and how big a burden it is to be vulnerable and kind and how it, it isn't weakness to be those things. And like, this is all spoilers. You should probably say that this is a spoiler. heavy. I should have said this is going to be a spoiler heavy review. Um, that's my bad. Um, but at the same time, and again, the film did it. They showed us the hyper-masculine version of the character, which again, he perfectly played. He played the the physical, aggressive, um, um, controlling, masculine character that is usually the end result of a masculinization of a hero in these films, like you see in all Marvel films. Um, and that character was shown to be wrong because at the drop of a hat, as soon as like things seemed to be going wrong, they were out to try and solve the problem themselves elsewhere. Uh, they didn't win out the, at the end of the day. Yep. And the and the character who who, who made everything t- come together was this uh, really really um, flawlessly executed, emotionally vulnerable, uh, and beautifully acted um, male character in a film. And it it was it was. I, I felt so many strong feelings that I, I was I was surprised because even though everyone had been talking about the film, I I I, I and I had such high expectations. I didn't expect it because I know the directors and I know their style. I didn't expect it to have the emotional nuance that it did, and I don't think enough people are talking about those elements because mm-hmm. they're mostly most of the most of the things they're talking about are the slightly more obvious things. But I think they're depictions. Right. So, so on, on that yeah, point. Yeah, because time is time is ticking down. Because Sorry, we do have I could a, talk about it for too long. Yeah. So could I. Right now, we do have an opposing view here because I am firmly in your camp, James. I thought this was, uh, and still is, one of my favorite films of the year, and I would want to watch it again. But Murray got in touch, and he said that the film was overhyped and it undermined any emotion. It tried to inspire by relying on slapstick for levity, and it was trying too hard to pretend it was clever. What do you think about that? Because I I disagreed. I did, I do agree with the last part. I think. I think part of my editing complaint is that they needed a bit less of some of the other universes and the the, sure. the slapstick elements of them. Because even the other universes still had the emotional stuff to drive it home. I wish that in the climax they they stuck a little bit more to the home universe and that story instead of flashing around them all and solving all the problems at once. There is an element of that. Right, right, right. However, I think that it's one of those things where if you watch the film on the surface level expecting it to deliver the hype that we're seeing, it might not be there. But for me, it delivered because of the emotional depth of the characters that maybe wasn't being... Um, it was being pushed, because obviously they, they were they were shoving it in our faces that the kindness was the key and that trying to understand people was the key. And they, and they, and they really did just, again, with comedy, try to push that in the climax. Um, but at the same time, I think there was this more subtle rejection of the usual masculine tropes in both the female and male characters that I loved about this film that maybe is uh, going underappreciated. Okay. Because it was the rejection of all those norms uh, that they, they didn't just embrace a different thing. They, they also pushed away the old stuff in a, in a, in a really nice way. And, and I, I, yep. I genuinely think that when you see actors pulling from so many things from 
d representing one character in a few different ways and trying to show the different nuances to the silent emotions that we saw at several points from each different actor, but all the way through to like bringing in their history from like fighting and being able to do yeah. uh, choreography. That kind of stuff is is, is my favorite. And it's definitely more important to me than, let's say, an actor who's who who goes into who goes into character acting and just is angry and horrible to everyone for six months and then plays an angry and horrible character kind of well. Sure, you know, it's easy to be angry and horrible. It is. It's a lot harder to display those small emotions and vulnerabilities in in a in a way that felt genuine. Okay, and and I think this film did that. It did. If you have a different opinion, or if you've seen a movie, or finished a TV show, watched a play, read a book, get in touch. Let us know. What did you think? Should other people watch, read, listen? Yeah. Let us know. Seesawparade at gmail.com or get in touch direct. It can be text or it can be audio. I've got one more thing to review. It's another podcast, and this is called The Tavistock, and it's a six-episode oh. series looking at the NHS clinic, which yeah. has been the centre of many a news headline mm -hmm. over the last mm -hmm. few years. It's hosted by Polly Curtis, who's an investigative journalist, focused on the Tavistock, or the Tavi, the centre which was accused by critics of fast-tracking teens into changing gender. Medically. Where our supporters would say it provided help and support, even a lifeline yeah. for some. So... Long story short, the Tavistock is being shut down yes. and replaced. And this podcast is looking at why, what happened, what went wrong. And it focuses mainly on its Gender Identity Disorder Service, or JIDS, which had been accused of giving teenagers estrogen or testosterone without enough investigation. Okay. The thing with this podcast is I have never heard a show with so many... Whether it's caveats or warnings or preemptive apologies, clarifications. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Because it's walking such a fine line between wanting to, to discover the, uh, air quotes here, truth without alienating anyone. Yes. Including the people that Polly herself is interviewing because there are some really direct and awkward questions being asked. Right. But that means because of all these like caveats, the story moves so slowly. It's only six episodes but we only really get into the narrative about halfway through right, and my time is too speed it <laughs> it basically ends by saying well the tavi did help a lot of people but oh. it also did some things which were unethical okay. who knows really the truth is somewhere in the gray oh. which to me is a cop out that's a bit but of a cop -out, it's yeah. almost inevitable with a podcast like that because Whatever conclusions you come to, you're gonna you're gonna upset some people. Yeah. But what it does do factually is it leaves us with a conclusion that there are almost ten thousand children on the waiting list for this service, which is being yes. downsized. That is what Polly says is the real scandal. Yeah. Rather than the scandal over children going on puberty blockers, because as they summarize in the show itself. We simply don't have any long-term data to look at what is the best course of action. And so her view is that the Tavistock did what they thought was right. Right. And they only have anecdotes. So they, they speak okay. to, as the show, they interview people who went through uh, the clinic. Right. They speak to the parents of kids who are currently midway through it or perhaps started and then abandoned it or yeah. regretted that they failed to follow through. And, and that is frustrating because as a listener, yeah. you want to you want to end with like a nice tie. Understand bow. something. Yeah. You want to understand this is based on facts and data and there simply isn't that yeah. in this uh, this particular podcast. So 
overall, Tavistock is closing. There's going to be eight new regional clinics yes. opening across England in the coming months. Probably based, should have opened them first, you know. Sure, based in hospitals led by doctors and only medics and mental health workers will be allowed to refer young people to these services. Yeah. And puberty blockers will continue as long as the patient agrees to be part of a long-term clinical study. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they say then, because of that massive waiting list, it could take up to a decade to clear the backlog. So... At oh, which no. point they're going to be have gone through puberty already. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, uh, huh? I would only listen to the show if you want to hear all of what I just said, except with but long, actual eh? interviewees and over four hours. I've, 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 I've not done enough research into this specific case, but I do know that there's a big lawsuit going on. But yeah, and the headlines are all saying like more than a thousand families represented. But if you ask the lawyers who they're representing, they go, "Actually, we don't know. We're upper estimate over a thousand, You know, right? So, so I'm not I'm not surprised the podcast doesn't have the facts because I don't think the legal team that's trying to sue the clinic has the facts yet, and they ha- definitely aren't telling anyone the facts if they do know them. So it is, it's yeah, like it's interesting, and I feel like I learned stuff, but it's I was just frustrated by the fact that yeah, you were looking for this clean cut conclusion and you didn't get one. It was just uh no, oh you know the truth's still out there. Yeah, I, I guess we'll I guess we'll never know. Well, yeah, you, you thought well. Come can you give us something more than that? Yeah, we're not going to see compelling evidence for these things for another couple of decades, probably because acceptance yeah, yeah. was so low for so long that only now are we seeing the true or and even a hint of the true interest um, in youth uh, for accessing such services and the long-term effects of it. And I think it is very important uh, to be cautious. But I think when you've got people waiting for a service, the service has to be there for them. Yeah. A waiting list that long and a de- a, like an idea of a decade maybe to catch up is harmfully bad, especially because we do know, and I don't know if the podcast mentioned it, but I know for a fact that we already have studies proving that access to um, gender-affirming care and even access to puberty blocking stuff all lowers suicide intention in the youth that want to access those it, services. Yeah, I did mention yeah, I did. Yeah, they I did say that. All of those studies are out there already. Now, we might not know like the full details of what happens uh into like late adulthood because we just don't have that many people who are in their seventies who accessed, you know, puberty blocking stuff in their youth. Yeah. But we know that this is the the, the current path that is the least harmful for people because denying them the care uh, leaves the suicide intention so high that it's scary. So there's no way that we should have a number in the waiting list that is, that is like measurable. It should be basically zero because because any time that you've got an issue that is causing uh, people to be uh, suicidal, you've got to try and tackle it immediately. Okay, two final items. Number one, Succession, one of my favorite TV shows ever. Okay, uh, it's it's showrunner and lead writer and director has announced uh-huh. that season four uh-huh. is the last one. Hey! Which I was initially... I mean, aw, but hey! I was initially very sad about, but actually on reflection... Yeah. That's a, it's a good thing, a rather good than just thing. this show doing a Game of Thrones and going on and on and on and stretching out storylines and adding well. lots of unnecessary nonsense and just turning into a, a parody of the same show. Yeah. They've decided, you know what? Jesse Armstrong, who's in charge of the show, also did Peep Show. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Other f- famous things. things made things. 
he said, that's it. Season four is where it's all going to end. All right. I mean, no, yeah, it's a good thing. I think any good show that has a plan for how to end, I'm happy for it. I'm happy for the people who enjoy it and they're going to like it and they're going to want more. And that's a hard feeling to always want more of a thing. But as long as it feels finished, it's better than being angry about the way it went or it never getting done and being really salty. You know, this is the best thing that can happen to a show is a good intended ending. And it's also, as Jesse Armstrong says, he says, it's in the title. It's called Succession. It means there's a finality to it. At some point, the succession will be over and someone new will be in charge. Oh, man. But just you wait. 20 years time, we could have Succession 2 with the next generation of, oh. of contenders vying to take over the, the, the company. That is true. I, I suspect in my heart of hearts it will be Jeremy Strong's character. I mean. Who sits atop the throne. But it has, yeah, like, I don't know. It, it could be anyone, but I feel like from what I've seen to the show, they are setting up that specific path the most. Have you wa- have you watched all three seasons? I've watched. I'm have. I am a few episodes into season three. Okay, right. We'll keep watching. I started watching things like I started watching things like The Last of Us and on all their shows in, in, a bit more instead. Understandably, so I'll come back to the rest of Succession. Yeah. Okay, and our last item today is a trailer ah. for. Tetris. A new game coming out now. Let's watch the trailer. It's, it's a movie, right? Is there a TV a show? A new game. You've never heard about Tetris. A new game. <laughs> okay. Here's it's, a, a it's a TV show. It might be a movie. It's Apple either way. It's Apple. Here's a clip. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. I played for five minutes. I still see falling blocks in my dreams. It's poetry, art and math, all working in magical synchronicity. It's... It's the perfect game. Tetris. 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 I don't get it. Right, James, who knew that Tetris involved so many Russians and so many shootouts and car quite chases? Quite a lot of people. Quite a lot of people, actually. It's uh, it's internet lore, just how dramatic Tetris becoming a thing was. I, well, see, I did not know this. And so initially I watched the trailer and thought, what in the, what circle of hell have we entered where this is... <laughs> how, how has someone come up with this story? The story of Tetris. And then lo and behold, you look into the Wikipedia and, I mean, sure, it's, just, uh, it's Wikipedia, <laughs> but looks kind of like it has a semblance of truth there. There's enough truth that it, it, you could say, you know, based on a true story and people won't be upset at you, right? That is true. The, the, the events that led to Tetris being accessible out with the Soviet Union were dramatic. And this show is depicting that drama. And it, it looks like it's doing it pretty well. I, I did like the, the trailer. I like the acting. I like the general feel of the, of the thing. I hope it translates to the slower medium that is not trailers and actual full-blown whatever it is. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I loved it. I thought it was really well done. Okay, well, that brings us to the end of the show. James, thank you for all your thoughts, opinions, yep. and your time as well. Oh, and I, boy. I wonder you know, how long I, the coffee lasted. I, I've I've almost finished mine actually. Um, you know, you know, you know. I invested my time in. I've I've listened to three episodes of The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling. Oh really? Uh, Why? I've learned nothing so far. <laughs> <laughs> For me, someone who's on the internet and those things, it's it's yep. been a complete nothing experience. I'll come back to you next week. <laughs> yeah, I'm in- interested. I was actually surprised you listened, but okay. Oh, Good no, to know. I will, I, I will listen to the whole thing. They haven't got to the interesting stuff yet. Right. Well, they've only talked about. They've talked about. The book coming out, which is a story I knew. They've talked about the religious rejection of the book and like book burnings and lawsuits, which I knew. Yep. And they've talked about now uh, the rise of, of Tumblr, um, uh, the rise of uh, Harry Potter culture on the internet, and a little bit of like the rise of gender identity 
all of which I knew. Um, so, so far, I've learned nothing, uh, and it's not said anything super brave. Okay. Mm, great. Well. I'm sure it's the most listened to show on the internet, though, because I think it is just mostly a, mm. a headline grab, a, cl- a click grab, a money grab so far. Well, we've tantalized you with that review, listener, so please do come back next time. Thank you so much for being with us. Really appreciate it. We'll see you there. Uh, see you next time. See you there, James. <laughs> see you. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Uh, that more fun and games and sunshine and rainbows. Tetris. <laughs> with, an, with an exclamation mark. <laughs>